So we're going to be in the first chapter of the book of John. We're going to be in the fourth chapter of the book of Matthew. You want to get your fingers or a little piece of paper in there. And then we're going to be in the fifth chapter of the book of Luke. So we're going to be jumping around a little bit. The, this, this experience that Peter, Andrew, James, and John had with Jesus in Luke chapter 5 was not their first meeting. Uh, as you recall from the movie, uh, and I think everybody here has seen the movie, uh, as you recall from the movie, Andrew actually started going to John the Baptist's preaching uh, services. I, the, the, that word doesn't sound right with a Jewish evangelist of John the Baptist. I think he'd be offended if I called it a service. Uh, but Andrew would go and listen to John the Baptist. Uh, and at one point, when John the Baptist saw Jesus, Andrew was there. And I'm in John chapter 1 and verse 38. This will be the first meeting uh, of Jesus and Andrew and Peter. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and said unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say being interpreted master. I actually like the word teacher better. Where are you staying? Where dwellest thou? Verse 39, uh, John chapter 1, verse 39, and he said unto them, come and see. Now you could say in a way that was the first call. At least that's the way uh, that's the way uh, A.T. Robertson sees it. And they came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two, they started timing, they started counting from 6 a.m. in the morning, so the first hour is what we call 6 a.m. One of the two which heard John speak followed him, and that was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon, and said unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ, the Anointed One. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Now, every writer in the New Testament calls Simon Petros. Greek, we call him Peter. Petros is the male form. Jesus here calls him Cephas, which is Aramaic for a stone. And in two other places, Paul refers to Peter as Cephas. But that's the Aramaic, if you're wondering where all these names are coming from. Uh, and I, I really like the way the uh, Chosen portrayed Peter. And it's not at all like I'd imagined him before. And I like Peter's irritation with his brother Andrew. I, I don't think there's anything more irritating than an enthusiastic believer when you're not ready to listen to preaching. You know, you get around a brother or sister in Christ that's just bent on converting you to Christ. And I don't know anything more annoying, always asking us to come and meet Jesus. But we have to remember as believers, being that irritating person calling others that 10 seconds after they pass into eternity, meeting Jesus will be the most important thing in their life. 
And whether they find you annoying or not, a Andrew didn't seem to mind. The guy that played Andrew in the movie does a terrific job. Uh, Andrew didn't seem to mind being the little jerky brother, and uh, it worked, you know. When we breathe out that last breath, all the jobs we've ever worked, all the hobbies and sports we've ever done, all the friends we've ever had, the houses we've built, the money we've piled up, that will all be meaningless. All that will matter is have you met the Lord Jesus Christ. And as believers, we understand that. Now, Peter is focused on fishing. He, he's not ready to turn his life around or believe in some hope for Messiah. It's his work that consumes him. Every time there's a lull in the activity of the next three and a half years with Jesus, you're going to find Peter going fishing. You know, and it, it'll say, and they left and they left all, or they forsook all, and followed him. But, you know, a few chapters later, Peter's back on his boat. And it's because it's all he knows how to do. It, it, he's obsessed about it. Uh, now, in the movie, The Chosen, if, if you saw that, and I think many of you have, he's obsessed with the taxes that he owes, but there's nothing that I've found in the Bible about that. They were just creating drama in the movie. Uh, but you don't need a tax debt to be obsessed about your work or to be obsessed about your play or to be obsessed about money. We find a way to make those things too important in our lives that we can't even take time for our families, more or less for, for a God that we can't see or, or know nothing about. Now, Andrew like many Jews, was still seeking the Messiah, even though a lot have already come along at this time period in, in Andrew and Peter's life, this period of time that Jesus was on the earth, there was a lot of expectation of a Messiah, and a lot of people have come along and said they were the Messiah, and Peter's done with it, Andrew's not. So Andrew's still seeking. Uh, Peter, he's tired. He's tired of all of that. He appears to have given up, or he just didn't care. He was, he was obsessed with his work, perhaps with his family. Now, the events of this first experience with Jesus may have been before they'd ever said a word to one another. And if that's true, uh, it said when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, son of Jonah. If that's true, Jesus knew who he was before he got there, which we understood. Jesus knows all of us better than we even know ourselves. And Jesus says, thou shalt be, I'm in verse 42 of John 1. That's a prophetic statement. You're not called the stone yet. You will be in the future, the stone. So you will be called the stone. Now, I, I'm sure many of you have heard the Petros Petra uh, discussion of using Petros as a small stone or a chip off of a big stone or a pebble. I, I, I think pebble is a little too diminutive for Peter, but uh, the word Petros is the smaller stone, whereas Petra is the big stone. But in Cephas, it's just a rock. In the Aramaic, it's just a rock. So Jesus isn't qualifying. But he's prophetically saying there's going to come a time when you will be called 
the rock. Petros, little stone or piece of rock, uh, you'll be a chip off of the main block. And you know, when Jesus eventually says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, he uses both words. You know, Thou art Peter, and upon this, you're the little rock, and upon this big rock, this proclamation that I am the Messiah, I will build, build my church. Thou art Petros, and upon this Petra, I will build my church. So the, the church is built on the rock of the proclamation of Jesus Christ. Thou art the Messiah. Thou art the Christ, Son of the living God, is which, what Peter said. And Jesus and Peter, I'm sorry, is a chip off of that little block. Now later on in Matthew chapter 4, if you had your fingers in there, it says Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee and saw two brethren. Simon, are you there yet? Maybe I should give you a minute. Chapter 4 and verse 18. Give you a minute to turn there. Chapter 4 and verse 18. Sorry, I'm used to going right ahead. I'm, I'm used to having it up there behind me, and I don't have to worry about you guys getting there. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting his net into the sea, and they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left their ship and their father and followed them. Now, Jameson Fawcett Brown, A.T. Robertson, and Chuck Missler all see this as a second call of these four men. For me, when I read this, this is so similar to what we're going to look at in the book of Luke. I think it could be the same event, you know, in my mind. But there are some differences. It is the Sea of Galilee, uh, Gennesaret in, uh, in Luke. All the same sea, though. It's outside of Capernaum in both cases. But Jesus is just walking by the sea in this case. And in Luke's instance, Jesus is going to be preaching. And he's going to use Peter's boat as a as a pulpit. So there, there are some differences there. Uh, so in the mind of these commentators, and who am I to argue with them, uh, this is the second call. Now, it's important for my message today that you understand there are three calls here. And that's why I'm taking the time. You're thinking, well, who cares? You know? Okay. Now, the third call, there is the miraculous catch of fish. Peter and Andrew uh, are on the shore in this call. And it came to pass as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. He stood by the lake Gennesaret and he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were going out of them and were washing their nets. You hear that? The boys aren't fishing this time. Peter and Andrew are not fishing this time. They've pulled their boat up near the shore, just as you see it in the movie The Chosen. And they're, they're cleaning their nets, or actually the word is uh, mending their nets, repairing their nets. Verse 3, And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and he prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep. So we know he's on the shore, and in my mind, when I see this in the movie, and I wish I could have shown it to you, when I see this in the movie, uh, it, it, the boat was too close to shore. He needed to get out in a little deeper water. Now, one of the things I didn't know about this is that when Peter goes, we've been fishing all night. When they fish at night and put the light up near the water, the fish come up near the surface. 
and that way they can get them with their nets. But though this lake is small, it's about 11 miles long, so if you're familiar with Lake Champlain, it runs from about Thompson's Point all the way up to uh, Shelburne Point. That's about 11 miles, and it's seven miles wide. So it's slightly wider than Lake Champlain at the point where the uh, Charlotte Ferry crosses. Slightly two miles wider and about that size. So you get an idea it's not a very big lake, but it's over 100 feet deep. And in, in, the, in the daytime, the fish dive down deeper because they have enough light to hunt down there, and they're safer down there. So Peter knew you're not going to catch any fish here, not, not in the daytime. This is the wrong kind of fish. Now, when he had left speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draw. And Simon answered and said, Master, we've toiled all night and we've taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. You know, Chuck Messner makes a point of this. that Miracles are always following obedience. You have to obey in order to see God work a miracle. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net broke. And they beckoned to their partners, which were the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both ships, so that they began to sink. Verse 8, When Simon Peter saw it, he fell at Jesus' knees, praying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. You know, in the movie, he says, You don't know me, Lord. I'm a terrible, sinful man. You know, we all feel that way when we come face to face with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah said the exact same thing when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. For he was astonished. Peter, that is. I'm in verse 9. I'm in Luke chapter 5. Gosh, I guess I didn't tell you that. I'm sorry. For he was astonished in all that were with him and the draught of fishes which they had had. And so was also James and John, the son of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Every follower of Christ, when confronted with the holy presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, recognizes our guilt and our unworthiness. And that's an important point. If you haven't recognized your guilt and your unworthiness, you're not saved. Because repentance has to precede salvation. We have to see ourselves as fallen sinners. The problem with some of us is, once seeing ourselves as fallen sinners, we can't believe that God could actually deal with us or save us, and we spend our lives crippled by guilt or sorrow or self-condemnation for our past. And that, in essence, is what this message is about. And when they brought their ships to land, I'm in Luke chapter 5, verse 11. I'm sorry I didn't warn you about that ahead of time. Next time I lose you, somebody holler out, where are you? All right? I'm so used to PowerPoint now, I can't really, <laughs> can't get away from it. Yeah. Isn't it up there? I don't know what happened here. Yeah. And when they brought their ships to land, sh ships, by the way, uh, they actually found one of these boats buried. There was a, back in 1988, I think Chuck said, uh, the, there was such a drought in the land that the lake level there at, at uh, Lake Galilee there was so low that they actually could see the outline of a boat in the mud and they excavated it and they put it in a solution of something to keep it from rotting and for some reason the mud protected it and now they have been able to drain whatever solution to protect it is and it's in a museum there. You can see these boats and they're about 27 feet long and 8 feet wide. So when you think of a ship, <laughs> I would never think of calling my sailboat a ship, but it's just about the same dimensions as one of these boats. Uh, they could row them, 
uh, it's a chore to roll a wooden boat that big, and they could also sail them. Uh, so you, you'll find that there's times where they're rowing them when they're against the wind or no wind, and there's other times that they'll be sailing them. And when they brought their, their I, I, I'd like the word boat, uh, ship just doesn't seem appropriate. And when they brought their little ship, I can add that, can I, to land, they forsook all, and they followed it, except, you know, they go back to fishing two or three more times. Uh, and, and that's the way it is. You know, this, this is the point. Every believer's experience with Jesus is different. Every one of us got called in a different way. And, and God met our needs in ways that we needed Him to meet our needs. I mean, He didn't need for me to catch a miraculous drought of fishes. I wouldn't need a net full of fishes, but He found ways to speak to me and to communicate to me that worked with my personality and my needs. And He does, he does that with every, every one of us. Every one of us have met Jesus on a different level. Now, once we've been met with Jesus and found salvation, once we've received Him as our Savior, once He's cleansed us from our sin, He gives us spiritual gifts. And every believer is called to work for the benefit of the church. Whether it's a secular job, whether it's raising a family, or or making money and supporting the work of the church. I remember there was a guy uh, in Memphis that felt his job was to make money so he could provide cars for preachers. I thought, that's a nice gift. I, I like that gift. And he, he was a car dealer, and he would make sure that every preacher in the Memphis area had a nice car to drive. I thought, well, that's, that's pretty cool. Pretty cool. They felt that was his gift. There was a guy at the church in um, Egypt, and I don't remember his name, but he would go around and encourage people. Barnabas, he would be an encourager. And he would come up and he would say, you're doing a great job. I appreciate what you're doing here at the church. He'd say that to everyone. You know, and he'd pat me on the back and he'd say, thank you for working with the boys in the Sunday school. And is there any way I can help? And he was just an encourager. That was his job. That was his calling. Every one of us has a calling. That's my point. Everyone is not called to go to, to a mission field. Everyone is not called to go to full-time ministry. Everyone is not called to... Uh, to go to even like I'm, I'm I, I don't know what you call what I do part time or full time. You know, you, you work on the side because you're working for a congregation that can't pay you a full time salary. So we call that up here we call that bivocational. But there's no term for that in the Bible because they were all bivocational. They all had jobs. They they didn't expect to get paid at the church. If they got a little extra help, they were happy. And that's sort of the way it is. You know, but uh, some people. Uh, graduate from seminary now with such debt that they have to work in a church that pays them a substantial amount of money just to pay off their debt. Others, others are called to forsake everything, jobs, houses, family, and follow Christ. And they find themselves off the coast of Africa or down in Peru. You never know where God's going to lead you, and you never know how it's going to work out. And we know people like that. Some are called to full-time or missions, others to part-times, and others are called to ministry in their own community. But the point that I want to make, and if I could, I'd put it up on the wall. Every believer has a calling. And I'm going to read this from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll take a sip of water while you turn there. 1 Corinthians 12. Where Paul is talking about spiritual gifts. All right. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 4. Now there are diversities. Now the word diversity means a variety. There are a... You can't say there are a variety, can you? There is a variety. <laughs> there are diversities, plural, 
of gifts, but one Spirit, the same Spirit. You know, I, I, I listen to uh, great preachers preach, and I kind of wish, boy, I wish I could preach like that, but that's not my gift, right? I know you might hear someone singing and say, oh, I wish I had her voice. That's not your gift. If it was your gift, you'd have her voice. You have the voice God gave you. You know, I, I look in the mirror now, and I kind of wish I had a little more hair, but that's not my gift. And for years, I, I would tell a joke complaining about my eyebrows. There's something defective with Henley's. We have this genetic flaw that there's no... We only have half an eyebrow. I think we, had, we used to have the inner half, not the outer half. And, and I, I never noticed that until my sister pointed out to me, God love her. Uh, that's what they say down south. God bless her. God bless her. God bless her heart. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I don't have an eyebrow, so it doesn't matter. I can't complain about that. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but one spirit, the same spirit. And there are diversities. That's the same word, variety of administrations. That's the word deacons, and it's a service. The word deacon, diakonos, means a servant. It actually means dia is through, and konos is dust. It really is through the dust. Diakonos is through the dust. And you had a whole line of people walking in a caravan, and the lowest of the lowest servants, the diakonos, had to walk through the dust. That tells you an idea where a deacon's at. All right. And in difference of administrations, there's different types of services you do. You know. But it's all serving the Lord, but the same Lord. Doesn't matter. If I'm downstairs uh, painting, or if I'm picking up the trash, or if I'm working in the kitchen, or I'm standing up here preaching, in all those situations, I'm serving the Lord. You have to see it that way. It doesn't matter. There are diversities of operations. Now that word means work or performance. There, there are different ways things get done. There's different levels of expertise. There's different levels of performance. But it's the same God which worketh all in all. And the important verse is actually the next one in verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to, excuse me, to profit with all, that means the whole group. The gift you have is not to make you look good or rich or have a nice job. The gift you have is to profit the church. Everything God has given you is to operate within the body. See, from this we can be certain that there's a calling in every one of our lives. Now, the important point that I want to make here is in Peter's life, this is his third call. So you think, well, I must have missed it. Uh, don't worry, he'll keep calling. You know, I, I remember Catherine Marshall saying, if you, if, if you feel an urging and you're not sure it's from the Lord, just wait, because He keeps coming back. He doesn't let you go. Years ago, they used to call Him the Hound of Heaven. He's not going to change His mind about you. If He has a calling in your life, He's not going to let you go. And then for a long time, I felt like, no, maybe I've missed it. And then I realized He's the God of the universe. He's going to start in plenty of time to get me where He wants me when He wants me there. And when you realize that, the anxiety drifts away. It's all in His timing. It's all in, you know, and I'm always, Lord, now what? Now what? Now what? You know, and He's like, breathe, will you? You know, just relax. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every person to profit the whole, and we can be certain that Jesus has a calling in every one of our lives, and He will not rest until we are on the mission where He wants us to be. 
Paul tells us in Romans 11.29, don't turn there because you'll be familiar with this, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. God will not change his mind about you. There'll be many times in ministry, there'll be many times in walking with Christ where you will change your mind about him. But there'll be no time in all of history where he'll change his mind about you. Hudson Taylor stood on the shore. He would get, I don't remember now, I read the book 50 years ago, but he would get, I want to say, an annual stipend when he was on mission in China. It might have been biannual. It might have been every six months a ship arrived. At any rate, when the ship came into the harbor, if it didn't have mail for him, he didn't get paid for either six months or a year. And he got it in his head as a brand new believer and new doctor and a new missionary that the, the, the arrival of his support check in China, halfway around the world, was dependent on his own behavior. And he got himself tied up in a works trip of, of self-made legalism. Not even legalism, it's a, it's a form of ignorance that we all get caught up in thinking that God can't bless me if I'm not faithful. And finally, he read the part where Paul said, and I didn't look this verse up. Some of you may have it memorized. Even though I'm faithless, he abides faithful. God will not change his mind about you. That's the promise. Now, you know, for the rock, Simon, he required a fourth call. He blew it so badly on the evening of the the trial of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus had to seek him out again and find him again on the lake, again fishing, you know, and call him a fourth time. And I believe with all my heart that had Simon not listened the fourth time or fallen away, or perhaps he did, God would have come back and called him a fifth time. You got to go to John chapter 21 to find this. So if you kept your finger in those three books, you'd be all right. So when they had dined, they were out fishing and they saw something on the shore. And they said, who is that? And they couldn't quite see. They were out for it, which makes sense to me. I think that's the way they should have pictured it in the chosen uh, because it's hard to fish when you can stand in knee deep water. But uh, the problem with making a movie is uh, you can't see the people on the boat and the people on the shore at the same time. So that's why they did that. But this time they're out in deeper water and they're fishing. And they'd been fishing a long time. And they hadn't caught anything. And some goofball from the shore hollers to them and says, have you caught anything? And they said, no. And he said, well, throw the net on the other side. You gotta love that, like the fish don't know one side of the boat from the other, you know. They didn't know they could cross over. Chuck Missler tells a story about he took his daughter fishing, they were on a pier fishing in Santa Monica, and she caught this beautiful fish on her side of the pier. And when they hauled it up, everybody was oohing and aah, and he said as you watched everybody gradually move their poles over to the other side of the pier, you know. The pier is like what, fifteen feet wide, fifty feet wide, and you know, like the fish can't swim that far. You know, so, you know, the guys on the boat are thinking, uh, you know, who is this goofball telling us to fish on the other side? So they did it, and of course, their nets almost break. And they get caught. Immediately, John recognizes it's the Lord, and he swims in. 
And the rest of them row in. So when they had dined, they get ashore. Jesus has already got breakfast cooking. And when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He said unto them, Yes, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said, Feed my lambs. And immediately he said unto him a second time, Simon, son of Jonas. You notice the name he's using? He ain't the rock yet. Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said unto him, Feed my sheep. Now there's a whole interplay with the word love here I'm not going to get into. And he said unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him a third time, Lovest thou me? But why did he do it three times? Because Peter had denied him three times. He met him where his need was, you see. He'll meet you where your need is. Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. Now remember at the end of the third calling, we don't know of any time after this that Peter fell away. I just know my own heart and how quickly it falls away. The Bible says nothing, but from this point on, Peter is a rock. But remember at the end of the third calling, Peter fell on his knees and he said, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. He saw himself as corrupted, unusable, dirty, soiled. He didn't see how God could use him. And in the Jewish mind, there's nothing more unclean there's someone who's afflicted with leprosy. Even a few spots on your hand and they would act like, you know, they'd act like you're a leper. Ooh, leprosy. So what do you think? They, they now left their boats behind. Obviously, they either have people working for them or the boy's dad, Zebedee, is taking care of the boats. As in the movies, he said, I'll take care of, I'll take care of the fish. But immediately, not, not immediately, but when they get back to Capernaum, it says, behold, <laughs> they run into a man, not, not with leprosy, but full of leprosy. He was leprous from stem to stern. That's as corrupt and vile and disgusting as a human can get in the mind of a Jew. Because in the mind of a Jew, leprosy was synonymous with sin. It was almost like your sin on the inside is ruptured. Onto the outside. Now we know today there's there's three or four different types of sin. I mean, of leprosy. Some of them aren't even uh, infectious. Some are. Uh, verse twelve of chapter five, back in Luke. I should have told you that before I was chatting away here. Verse twelve of chapter five, back in Luke. And it came to pass, he was in a certain city. Behold, a man full of leprosy who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. See, I wouldn't have approached Jesus that way. I would have said, Lord, can you make me clean? This guy didn't say this. This guy believed that Jesus could heal him. All he has to do is want to. Now, Peter on his knees, being called by the Messiah, who he knows to be God, doesn't see himself as cleansable. That, is that a word? <laughs> Able to be cleansed? Uh, and yet, here's a guy who's as vile and dirty as any human being can be. Now, I don't think it's any accident they ran into this guy shortly after being called into the ministry. 
Behold, a man full of leprosy who, seeing Jesus, fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if you wilt, thou can make me clean. And he put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. And I'll tell you something. If God can cleanse a leper, he can cleanse us. If he can forgive Peter's sin or David's sin or my sin, he can forgive yours. The point is, God is not only willing, he's able to cleanse a man full of leprosy. See, as far as east is from the west, so far as he separated our sins from himself. Think of this. When God says, I forgive you, we are forgiven. And when he says, your sins are forgiven, they're washed away. They're gone. You know what happens is we carry them around in the back of our mind. And just about the time you're having a bad day, there's some little voice in your head that isn't yours saying, don't you remember? Don't you remember when you did this? Do you know how unfit you are? Don't you know this has ruined you? The guy that started this church, also named Bob, interesting how the name keeps repeating itself in my life, Bob Lovins, he actually, with Jack Burkholder and Sandy, started this fellowship. But he was divorced. And he was in the presence of his church in the Midwest, and somebody in the church came up to him and his wife. He'd been married just months. I don't think they'd even made it a year, and his wife left him. I don't even know what the issue was. But she left him. And this deacon came up to him and said, you know, you're ruined for the ministry. Because you could never be a pastor. And it ruined him emotionally. Because from then on, every pastor he ever had, and he told me this, he compared to what he could have been if his first wife hadn't ruined him. And no one can live up to that standard. And just about the time something's going on in the new church, some little voice would come in his head, and we know where that's from. We'll say, you could do a better job than that if it wasn't for that woman. Huh? The point is, God is able to cleanse us and to restore us to full fellowship, regardless of our past. Mary Magdalene is proof of that. Peter is proof of it. You're proof of it. Acts chapter 10, if you want to turn there, you're used to this. Uh, you probably don't even need to turn there. Peter is getting ready to share the gospel with a Gentile, which was uh, about like asking me to eat snails. I mean, it's just something I don't do. you know. And, and Peter is going to go into a Gentile house and he's going to witness and then he's going to baptize and then he's going to eat with Gentiles. And he'd never done that in his life before. Uh, he'd probably rather eat with Jewish lepers than Gentiles, but uh, you get an idea of how opposed they were to sharing the gospel, which is the whole reason that Israel was put aside because they wouldn't share the gospel. And that's why God raised them up as a nation, that they would be a light to all the other nations. Instead, they were darkness to the other nations. But Peter is sitting on the roof, and you know this little uh, blanket came down full of all kinds of foods that in the Jewish mind were unclean. And three times, well, here we go again. A voice spoken to him. I'm in verse 15, the second time. What God hath cleansed, 
that now called, thou call not, thou common. What God has cleansed, don't you call unclean. This was done three times and the vessel was freed again up into heaven. And Peter realized that God was going to save the Gentiles based on that, that vision that he had. My point is very simple. God is not finished with us yet. God is not finished with you yet. There's nothing you could have done in your past that would have disqualified you for the service God has called you to. Our job is to recognize that and wake up in the morning and say to Christ, what next? What do we do now? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for helping us through this without all these electronic aids. Father, thank you for this opportunity. And Lord, help us to see the richness and the glory of your calling in our lives and the fact that we are now clean. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.